So last week, um, Pastor David was sharing about how people are looking for something real and that we get to be a part of it if we choose. Um, and, and I encourage you to go back and re-listen. You know, I was thinking this as I was prepping my messages. I personally, I listened to someone, um, I listened to a few churches throughout the week. But I will tell you that when I come here on a Sunday, I lean into what is being spoken by whoever is up here. Because this is my church house. This is, this is where I call church. Um, this is, I, I feel like we are all a part of this family. And it's important to know what is the Lord speaking and doing in this place. Um, because I listen to these messages in, in these other places, which are great. I'm encouraged. It's part of how I feed myself in addition to reading the word. But it is important to lean in to what is the Lord speaking in this place because it matters right? Um, we talk a lot in our, in, our, in our home. Thank you, Micah. We talk a lot in our home about family business. Um, and, and it's like everyone else can be doing whatever they want. Sometimes I'll say that. I don't, you know, I don't care what your friend's doing over there. Like you guys are my family. What we're doing here matters. And I just want to encourage you that what is happening here at Chapel Valley matters. It's not that those other churches aren't good. It's not, but I can, but it's important for us to lean into the word that is being spoken from this place because this is for us for today, specific to where we are. All the churches in this city all have different assignments, different congregations, different intent and purposes, while it is to proclaim the gospel and the good news. But there's a work and assignment that the Lord has for us. So I want to encourage you. Um, I had to even ask myself, why do I take notes? Like, I literally was thinking that, like, why do I take notes? And some of it is to reinforce things that I hear the Lord saying. Sometimes I take notes as the speaker speaking, things that I hear the Holy Spirit speaking specifically to me. Um, and so, so, but I want to encourage you that pay attention to what's happening up here. Don't let it just be like, oh, I missed that Sunday because there's words that are timely specific for us. Um, not that we're special. It's just the Lord has something to say to us and we get to partner with that. So I want to encourage you that um, you go back and you listen to, to messages. You don't have to like re-go through all, like, I mean, if you want to go back and catch up that way. But last week, David's message was very profound um, and vulnerable and real. And um, I mean, like, literally, I was silent um, in my thoughts, silence in my word as I was listening to him, because the reality is people are looking for something real, and people are looking everywhere. Um, you know, Sundays in Ephesians, have we, have you guys been able to keep up with reading Ephesians? We've been reading Ephesians, yes. Reading, our goal is reading Ephesians every day until the end of the year um, together as a congregation in addition to whatever you're reading or maybe you're just reading Ephesians itself. Um, but it, it has been amazing how Ephesians keeps popping up everywhere for me now. Um, I think I've talked about my sleep. I listen to a sleep app if I have trouble falling asleep. And the last few ones, I'm not kidding, the last two weeks, probably seven of them have been out of Ephesians. Um, and all it says is like, weary for the soul. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, it's like a very vague, I always pick kind of based on the person who's speaking. Um, because sometimes if you're listening to something and it's audit, like it's an audible voice, there's been times I woke up like, what is happening? So I, I know who doesn't necessarily voice freak me out if I, I'm coming out of my sleep. Um, but the last like seven, eight of them have been out of Ephesians. But in Ephesians chapter four, verses um, 11 through 16, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about from with every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ, for who the whole body is joined together, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of, uh, for edifying itself in love. You know, when I think about Sundays, and this isn't my message yet, I, I, I will get to my message, but as I was thinking about our times together here, that I want us to realize 
that this is a time for you to be equipped for the work of the ministry. <laughs> that yes, that, that, that I, I, one of the functions I function in as a pastor, but I am, that's not my identity. We understand that, right? Like I am, I function in the gift of, of pastoring or, or teaching, however it might be, but I am not a pastor. I am a pastor, but I am a daughter of God, first and foremost. That's, that's the role of what I am to be functioning every single day. And then I too am to be equipped for the working and the ministry of Christ. And so when we come here on Sundays, Sundays is about us being equipped for the work of the ministry. That this isn't, Sunday isn't about the ministry. Sunday's about being equipped so that you and I go out and we are working in the ministry. And I say that because it's so important that we begin to get our perspective right about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because we can get, we, because we, it's not just about like getting saved and staying in our circle and going to heaven. But rather it's about being equipped for the time to come for the work of the ministry. You know, this, this yesterday I was in here praying and um, I, I felt very strongly that there was a word and I kind of felt like there was a, an intent, uh, maybe for a specific age group, but I'm not gonna like spe specifically call out necessarily the age group, but I believe that right now is a time that the Lord is asking and looking for watchmen. Now, in the Old Testament, watchmen were looking out and they were guarding and they were watching to see what was coming in. Their intent was to understand the difference and discern between um, like a messenger, because that's how they got things, right? There's people who like rode on horses and brought messages and equally the, the enemy would come in. And so there was watchmen who were, who were watching what was happening to let the people know what was going on. In the New Testament, we don't necessarily read about watchmen, but we hear often in scripture, be, be, be alert, be watchful, uh, walk circumspectly. Like there's this idea and this intent that we're supposed to still be watching, that even though Jesus has come and died and rose again, we're still supposed to be watching. And I believe that if you are here at Chapel Valley, that there is an opportunity, an invitation for all of us to be watchmen and to get on our towers and to begin looking not in fear, because we read we're not to be moved by fear, but there's people and there's a legacy. It says in Proverbs that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We know in scripture that it talks about like our money, like we can't take it with us. So if a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, what's the inheritance that's to be left? There's a spiritual inheritance. There's a legacy that as, as people, we're to be leaving inheritance, I believe, of legacy and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if you look at the big church C, we've lost our ladies who made the casseroles and interceded. Like if you look at it, we, and, and again, we've, we've worked and we've relinquished some, some control as the church and we're upset because we're like, why isn't the church making a difference? Because we've actually stopped praying and interceding and stopped being watchmen. Instead, we started being like watchers of the TV, of the news, of everything that's happening. And we've relinquished the spiritual authority that we've been given for something, for something else. And I, 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 I am learning to slow down in my judgment. I'm saying learning to slow down in my judgment about other churches and what they're doing because I can't even pay attention to what they're doing. That's, not, that's none of my business. That's between them and the Lord. Each person who will stand before them is between, it's between them and the Lord. But I believe that as I was praying that the, there's an invitation for people to be watchmen in this congregation. Because there's some of us who are, are um, having, I was just sharing with the prayer team, some of us are like Nehemiah where we have, we feel like there, I have a sword in my hand and I have a tool in my other hand. There's some of us who would say that's, I'm at work. and I, But I'm gonna tell you, you can't do both. You can't both work and, and there are people who don't have the capacity to do the laborious work that they once did. And it's not like, oh, I've paid my dues and now I'm done. No, if you're still breathing, which I think we're all in here breathing, the Lord's not done with you yet. 
And I believe that there's an invitation for us to be watchmen over this place. We are called to watch, to have the discernment. In 2 second, in second Peter chapter 3, and I thought this was, was interesting, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 18, it says this, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, as, our, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, all as also in the epistles seeking or speaking in them of these things, in which some of the things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do not know the rest of the scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Let me point a few things. When I'm talking about us being watchmen, it's also being people who are first found in peace. Peace is first and foremost. You know, I've heard many people say, I'm ready for Jesus to come. I'm ready for Jesus to come. I get it. But I just read in here that uh, the long suffering and consider that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. There are too many people, and one is already too many people, who don't know Jesus. And I'm, we're going to keep proclaiming that from here because it is the purpose and the intent of why we are here. We are a purpose and intent is there is an assignment that the Lord has for us individually and corporately as a church. And until we begin to move and operate it fully, we should not be, we, we shouldn't settle. Not one person, his heart is that not one person would go without knowing him. Not one. So we're, so when we say, oh, we can't wait till he returns, I get what we're saying. We don't like the tension in which we are living. The tension is uncomfortable in where we find ourselves. The tension of our pocketbooks might feel uncomfortable. The tension of things people say that when they're around you might feel uncomfortable. But understand the long suffering is the salvation of the Lord. And there is a tension that he calls us to learn to live in. And the first instruction is that we would first be found in his peace. Second, that we would understand that as he is long-suffering, that there's work that's to be done. There's people to know who need to know and proclaim, hear his name proclaimed of salvation, not just like, oh, I know about Jesus. No, that would come to know him. The other thing that it says that I found was interesting is don't fall from our own steadfastness in the Lord. That's a warning in there that there's a, that there's a, a, a possibility that we too can fall from the steadfastness of the Lord. Not lose our salvation, but get off track here. And then the last instruction in this is that we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about how beautiful that is. That there he is so vast in understanding of who he is, is that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That even though we find ourselves in here, no matter how young or old you are, that there is a hope and a confidence that there are still things to be found in the hope and the knowledge of the, of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're to still grow in that. So I'm going to pray. And again, this isn't my word, but I believe that it's important that you ask, Lord, are you asking me to be a watchman? What are you asking of me? How does this apply to my life? What, what is it that you're calling me to in this season? How can I be partnering with the church? And it's just not in doing. I'm telling you, there, there, there's, there's work to be done. But I, I was sharing earlier, we want to see the goodness of God move in this place. We want to see revival in this place. We want people to come to know him. We would agree that's true. But there's a work to be done still through us. Because I can tell you that Jay and I can't do it. 
I can tell you that we can do all these things and, and we can have these pews full, but I, we, we don't just want this place filled with pews or filled with people. We want people experiencing the goodness of God and freedom in his life. And there's people that I know that are in this place that the Lord is asking to rise up, to rise up, to rise up, to rise up. Actually, when you read it in Isaiah, Isaiah actually corrects the watchman that um, it's Isaiah, I think like 55, because he's, he actually has a strong word towards the children of Israel, actually saying, what kind of watchman have you become? What have you been doing? We want, we want people in this place experiencing the freedom of God and pressing forward. We need, you, we need you guys to partner with us. We need people praying and contending before Sunday. We need people who are interceding and fasting before Sunday, before Christmas in the park, before Fool and Focus, before Laundry Love. We need that or else it's just vain stuff. It just is. And that's a hard place as a pastor to consider. Oh, Lord, our heart is that we would be people who come on a Sunday to be equipped and say, oh, man, this week I, I really messed it up. You know, like I, I prayed for someone and, you know, and we're walking through that tension of being proclaimers of the gospel and the good news. That we would come back and be like, hey, I thought I had a word for someone and that fell flat. Would you pray for me? Yes, that, that, that is the church that is active and moving. So I believe he's calling people to be watchmen and that might be you. Um, and I'm gonna pray over us that we would have a revelation um, and that doesn't exclude me from it, um, that there would just be a revelation of those things in us. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you that you are, uh, you say in your word that you, you don't do anything before first letting your prophet know. That's my abbreviation or my summary of it. God, you don't ever want your church to be caught off guard. You never want your people caught off guard. Um, you want your people to be ready. Um, Lord, you want to uh, give us the strategic instruction for each season that just because something worked in one season doesn't mean it's for the next season. And so God, I just pray that if we are here together, God, that we would be people who would submit and say, what would you ask of me in this season? How would you have me partner in prayer? What does it mean for me to be a watchman here at Chapel Valley? God, I pray that you are faithful. You are faithful to answer our prayers. And so God, we pray that you would just make those things uh, give us a revelation of what that means for us individually and then corporately as a congregation. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, today's message is called Be Bold, Be Courageous. Be Bold, Be Courageous. Um, even a little bit as even this was like a prelude to it. Um, you know, I think that we are living in a time where um, if you are paying attention, they were living in a time where self-preservation is like first and foremost, like of all things. We are living in a time where um, it is calling us a lot to ourselves. Um, we're living in a time where I'm just saying culturally, this is what's happening around us. Um, we People go to church um, and then that's it. Then they go back to their life Monday through Saturday. Uh, maybe they heard something and they just, they just move on. We're living in a time where it is very watered down relationship with Jesus, but yet everything is like super fully, like supercharged. Um, people are fleeing life. We, we see a lot of people who are like just disengaging with life in general. Um, I, I don't necessarily have one way or the other that is right or wrong. I just see it. People are like, I'm moving out of the city. I'm doing this. I'm doing, we just see people who are kind of just like fleeing life in some ways. And then we see other things that are happening. Um, it can sometimes feel like the enemy is gaining traction, right? If you're listening to the news, scrolling, whatever you're doing, it almost feels like things are just getting darker. I was on the phone with Jay. I was on speaker. Sam was with him. And I said something and Sam said, well, like what? Like, why would that be happening? And I said, honey, we're living in a time where right, good is right, good is wrong and bad is right. We're living in a time where things are just twisted. That, that's just the time we're living in. People are calling good, bad, bad, good. That's what I was, I think that's what I said. 
Would we agree that that is the climate in which we are living in? And then we have our own lives that are happening simultaneously. We have our own circumstances, our own health, our own family, our own kids, our own grandchildren, our own um, circumstances that we're facing that are going on all at the same time. And as I mentioned, I feel like as I've looked, um, I feel like there's a little bit, and I feel like the Lord corrects me, but like there's a little bit of the church has just lost its way a little bit. We've lost its way, and I, how do I know that is because sometimes when we're getting ready to preach or teach, I'm just like, what am I supposed to be saying? What am I supposed to be doing? Is this, I, I'm like, am I, is this too much? Is this too little? Like it just, it is the, the um, um, amount of pressure that we are all walking and is available to succumb to is quite a bit. And what was interesting is I was reading, and the Lord is so good, as I was reading and he began to put into put on my heart just where he would go, um, I was reading Acts chapter, we're going to be there, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9. And when I was reading it, literally I was like, how is it that our lives are so parallel? Like quite literally, as we're, you, as we're reading it, you will see the parallel of what's happening around us and scripture that was already has already been written. Here at Chapel Valley, we believe that the word of God is the first, is the only truth. This is where we preach from. This is where we come from. That we're not looking. We really are trying to stay away from our opinions about things and stick to what does the word of God have to say? How do we wrestle through what is in here? Because there are some tough places in here that we could try to avoid and not talk about. But I don't know that that's, that's the right thing to do. Anyways, so we believe that the word of God is, is the truth. And so in that word, as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh my goodness, how is it that, like, in, you'll read if you, later, and later in uh, Acts chapter 8, literally it was saying like, and, and the angel of the Lord came to Philip, we're not talking about this, but the angel of the Lord came to Philip, and he sent him to go from Jerusalem down a strip to Gaza, and I'm like, like what? Like how is this? And, and it's like in this place is a desert. And I'm like, Lord, your word is is alive and active. And and it just was this moment where I thought, like, who are you calling in that place in that zone? Like you called Philip to go be a minister and proclaim the gospel of the good news in the midst of everything that's happening, right? Like I, that's what I'm saying. Like the word of God is real and living. And if we would just read it and understand that this isn't just so I can like know things and and be like spiritually smart, it's because it's to move us to something which is closer to God. Okay, you guys see where I'm at? Because the word of God, I just, I feel it in my bones. Like, I, it's the only way that I can say it, that we have to wake up. We have to wake up. We have to wake up to what's happening. And the scripture is designed to be real and living, that I could be literally on, what's today, November 5th, thank you. It's November 5th. We're in the middle, in Israel, there's this horrible war that is happening. And I would be reading scripture about a man who walked down this desert place in the very place on November 5th, where there's tension because God's word is living and active. And he's calling us that we would read it and say, God, would you send a Philip again? Would you send someone again who would go in that dark place and begin to proclaim your good news and begin to proclaim the gospel to your people? Would you send somebody? Because the harvest is plenty but the labors are few. And we don't realize that it says that we're to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send people because our natural inclination is not to go. Our natural inclination is to stay safe. Our natural inclination is to stay comfortable. I'm going to tell you, I've thought about this plenty of times. What happens if and when something begins to happen in our city? What will I do? Will I flee? Will I go? Do I send my kids like with Micah and Zach somewhere safe? Like, do I just say, hey, take my kids and take care of them? Do I stay here? What would I do? What would I do? What would I do if things are starting to get a little bit uncomfortable? What are we going to do? Because as I read in scripture, he calls people to go to desert places for people. He calls people to rise up in boldness and courage for people. I can't read scripture and just think, oh, God supplies my every need. 
That's the promise that's in there. He does. But I can also then read it and say where the Lord sends Philip to a desert place and not think, Lord, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for our church? Because there's desert places here. That's not even in my message, but Luke or Acts chapter 8. Now Saul was cons- consenting to the death. Now Saul was consenting to his death. This was to Stephen's death. He has just been stoned. At that time, great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Again, I was not trying to like pick this up and be re- like culturally relevant. And when I, last Sunday I was sitting there and David was preaching and I heard like, you're going to be preaching next week. And then he said something. I'm like, oh, I must have, bou- I'm, like my thought was I'm going to bounce off that idea. Well, I don't, I didn't write it down. So I go back to listen to David's message. I'm like, okay, Lord, where, where did you want me to land, like bounce from? There was nothing. I was like, oh, okay, well, here I'm teaching. And the Lord began to say, go read about Saul's conversion. As I'm reading Saul's conversion, I'm just like sitting in the uncomfortableness of the tension that is in our world. And here, thousands of years ago, there was a tension in the same area where deep persecution was happening. Now Saul was consenting to, the, to, to Stephen's death. At this time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles, okay? A devout man, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc for the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, guess what they were doing? Preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. This was in the midst of persecution. This was what was happening. For unclean spirits, for unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many who were possessed, and many were par- many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was a great joy in that city. So this is the tension in which is happening around us. I would encourage you, or at least I was moved as I was reading through it, um, just the relevance of God's word still today. But we're going to skip over to chapter 9. And it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And the letters from him to the synagogue, and asked, Letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, of the way, they didn't call them Christians, of the way up this point, were followers of Jesus. So that he would find any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to, to Jerusalem. Now, like, it's not like here to downtown Madison. Like, like he was, dra- it was a, a, from Damascus to Jerusalem was like a journey. And I just was thinking, could you imagine? He was saying like, I'm gonna find these people I didn't, I guess I could have looked up how the actual distance, but I didn't. I'm going to find these people here and I'm going to bound them, bind them and I'm going to take them down to Jerusalem. So this was where he's at. Now, has anyone ever had any threats, like someone threatening you? We don't, we don't need to raise our hand. Okay. Um, I, I, I will say I have. Um, a, well, growing up, there was a, um, a man who lived across the street from us. And as I've gotten older and I've kind of contemplated some of the things, um, he, he probably was possessed. Maybe he was even sent from, from the enemy. I don't know. This started at a very young age. I was probably about 14 or 15 when he, well, he was, I was about 12 when he moved in. Um, but probably when we were about 14, 15, he started stalking us. I'm not even joking. Like literally we'd find cigarette buds by our, um, by our window. Cause we had these like big windows that like were bay windows but they weren't high because we didn't have like basements or anything anyway so we would find cigarette buds there and he would like taunt us um like literally like he would just like taunt all the time we would come out he was just taunting 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 um and so this one particular season or time I mean there was nothing anyone could do because he wasn't doing anything he was just yelling obscenities I learned a lot of words from him at a very young age because that's literally quite what he was yelling um so 
my mom, single mom, no men in the house. Um, anyway, so my mom and my dad leave to take my older sister to California, or to Oklahoma. She was going to seminary out there. My time, at the time, my middle sister, Yvonne, wasn't living with us, but she was going to come stay with me because I was uh, like 16 or 17. And so she was going to come stay with me for the time period my mom was gone. On this particular night, I don't remember if she was working or whatever, my friend and I, we were getting ready. We were going to go hang out with some friends. And um, like, I think we'd given a lot of the furniture to my sister or something. So our house was practically empty. And all of a sudden, 17-year-old Susie, 16, 17-year-old Susie, I start hearing this man. And now it, it was close. It was probably like our front door was here. His front door was there. It was, it was a pretty close. I start hearing him yelling, who's going to watch you now? I know your mom and dad aren't home. Who's going to watch? And now he's like also saying profan, like there's other things I cannot repeat. But he's yelling and taunting. And I just remember I like fell to the floor because I was like, and, and my friend and I, because she was there, we like crawled to my room and we were like, what do we do? What do we do? And he's just yelling and yelling and yelling. I know your parents are gone. What? And I'm just like, and you don't have cell phones at that time, you know, so my heart is beating. And maybe call the police would have been the right thing to do, but my 16, 7-year-old brain wasn't thinking that. And so over our at our house, there was, two, like, there was my neighbor who always had lived there, and then the house over, there was these biker gangs. I promise, this is a real story. There was a biker gang, like, like you know, like gang gangs, but these guys were on bikes. And, that like, one guy carried a machete with him. Like, I'm telling you, like, these guys were, like, escape to Mexico type of guys. Like, I'm not, like, this was, like, actually one did. That's a whole different story. So anyways, so there it's a Friday night, and they're having a party, and um, they're, like, already drinking, and they're all these big, burly guys. And I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go tell, I don't even remember what his name is. I'm going to go tell him that he's bothering us and that I'm leaving and that my parents aren't home. Kind of a risky thing to do. So Susie walks, I walk over there, and as I'm walking over there, the man across the street now starts walking over. So I'm like, hi, like, hi, guys. <laughs> That's literally like, and I'm like curly-haired Susie, and I'm 16, and I'm like, um, is, is John around? Like, I don't remember what it is. There's Tony there? And so like, hey, can someone find Tony? And they're like, you know, and they're like drinking, and I'm just like, what am I doing? And I remember telling them, hey, the guy's name was Joe across the street. Um, Joe is, is yelling some things and I'm, I'm afraid and my mom's not here. Um, I'm going to be going out with my friend and my sister won't be coming later. Can you guys just watch over our house and, um, like protect us? <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. It wasn't the best of things. And so he said, yeah. And so the, the one Tony guy, whatever his name was, yells at the other guy where now our neighbor's talking to us, you know, he's like upset, send them away. Send them. We don't want them here. So he then says, when you get home tonight, I want you to come and check in with me. I'm going to tell you, I've had someone threaten me. It was a scary thing. Especially at 17, you're just like, what is someone capable of? Here's Saul on a much greater scale. He's not only threatening them, he's threatening murder of them. And now he not only is threatening murder, but he has the papers in hand that say, I can take you, I can take you, I can take you at any point that I want. So as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, this is Saul, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice. I didn't even realize I said I fell to the ground and he fell to the ground. Anyways, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who had Saul been persecuting? Well, the church, people. Do we not understand and see that when he comes, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting me or my children? He says, why are you persecuting me? We need to understand that as we're walking through things and things are happening to us, they're not just happening to us, that we are in covenant relationship with our heavenly father. And when people do things to us, they're actually doing stuff to our heavenly father. Isn't that profound that he says, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said to the Lord, what do you want me to do? 
And he says, arise and go into, so the Lord says to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Here's what I want us to know is number one, when people are doing this, they're not just doing it to you, they're doing it to Jesus. The other thing is we're talking to the topic of being bold and courageous. I'm going to tell you, have you ever been faced with a circumstance and not turned to the Lord? Dug your feet into the ground or doubled down on your decision? I think Saul had a choice. Saul could have just continued on. Saul could have been bitter. Saul could have been angry. It could have stirred up his anger. Instead, it says, he asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? He, he turns to the Lord. Saul had to be courageous in his sin, in his brokenness, in his choices. That he would turn to Jesus and not away. He didn't drink or eat for three days. Can you imagine if there was a reorientation that was happening in Saul's life in that moment? I heard a quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon, I think it was, that says that the discernment is knowing what's right, the difference between what's right and what's almost right. Saul was actually not that far off. If you know anything about Saul, is um, when, when it comes in verse 17, it, see, it says that uh, Ananias tells him, and we'll read it, brother, I've come that you um, might be baptized and receive your sight. It says nothing about salvation. Saul was, was kind of right in some ways. But he had to do what it took in his heart to be reorientated for the places that he was wrong. He was rising up against the wrong people. Obviously, what he was doing was not right, but he allowed himself to be reorientated to understand what was right, the difference between what was right and almost right. I'm going to tell you that to be courageous and bold in the season that we're in, that we're walking into, we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to understand what is right and what is almost right. We got to have the this, this steadfastness to say, I'm not going to just move because it seems right. I'm going to move because I know that this is what the Lord is asking me to do. And this is right. That actually takes courage to, uh, number one, admit you don't know. Number two, admit that maybe you're wrong. And number three, to stay steadfast until the Lord tells you to move. I'm telling you, Saul could have got things absolutely wrong in this moment, but instead he humbled himself. He humbled what he thought he knew, and he walked obedient to the Lord because he says, what do you want, Lord, what do you want me to do? How many times do we ask that question? I can tell you probably not enough. I can tell so many times I know in my own life that I don't ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? I just do it. I just move. I just like react. I'm, I can be very reactive. Go figure, right? Like I can be very reactive about situations around me. And I realize that the Lord is calling us to be in a season where we stop and we don't react. And we ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Saul had the right in his rightness in his mind somewhere to acknowledge that maybe what he was doing was not right. I believe I believe, I believe, I believe that the level of discernment and, and wisdom the Lord is asking us to move in is unprecedented. I don't say that word a lot, but I believe it in this way. To be bold and courageous isn't just to be vivacious and loud and like moving things forward. Being bold and courageous sometimes is stopping and waiting. And here we see for three days, he fasts. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He waits on the Lord. And now we have this other man, Ananias. And Ananias in chapter, uh, on the same chapter, verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And he said, to, and, the, and, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of, Judea, of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For uh, behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come, putting his hand on him and, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about, him, about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
and how and here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is my chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. What would happen? What is going to happen? Because I am crazy enough to think that the Lord is going to call each one of us to an Ananias moment. I believe it. I believe it. Because there's no way with the level of, of things that seem to be rising in dark places, that he, how would he not call us for a moment like that? The labors are few. How can he not call us to go to a dark place? How can he not call us to a place that is going to maybe cost us something? And I think it's interesting, Anna, I says, like, oh, wait, I've heard about this man before. Like, he has the papers to take me. And the Lord says, yeah, but I have need of him. I have need of him. Could you imagine if Ananias would have just been like, yeah, no, I'm good. I kind of like my life. I kind of like the way things are. <laughs> are you sure there's not someone else? The Lord probably would have found someone else. But there was a moment of an opportunity for Ananias that changed the course of history. I don't know how we will change the course of history long term, but I believe that there are people that he wants us to call call us to that will change their history and change the trajectory of where they the trajectory of where they're going. You know, I was recently before this even came up, um, there was a situation that arose Friday, I think, and uh, some someone had said some unkind, untrue things about Jay and I, and I was like, I was upset, I was mad. A little nervous too. I was like, ooh, like, uh. so I was praying, okay, Lord, like, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And um, so I started in my mind, my mind, forming all the things of how I can kindly like respond. And I was like, ooh, that sounds good. Like, that sounds really good. You know, that sounds like both acknowledging the person, like where they're at, and and acknowledging their hurt, and also, you know, and I'm like, so I'm so I pick up my mom and I'm like telling her what happened and. Um, she's listening, and so then she starts sharing, and she goes, Susie, I don't think you're supposed to say anything. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean, Mom? What do you mean I'm not supposed to say? I don't think you're supposed to say anything. I'm like, ugh, fine. But I'm, and I said, I'm still, I think I even said, I'm still going to pray about it, and I think I'm still going to say something. <laughs> so whatever, Friday happens. And I'm, I'm here and getting stuff ready. And then the Lord began to just say, now pray for this person. Pray that they would experience my mercy. Pray for their salvation. And wouldn't it be like God who would have me in reading about Saul and like his transformation before this situation? Like, wouldn't it be like God who just moves on our behalf and prepares us before if we're actually paying attention? That all of a sudden, I like, it hit me. Like, yesterday, it hit me. Oh, Lord, you were preparing me both for what needed to be said on Sunday, but also preparing me for how to respond instead of reacting and jumping the gun. And so I sat and I prayed for the person that they would experience God's mercy that they would experience salvation. See, this is, what, this is what Ananias had to decide. Am I going to either be obedient to God or am I going to risk something? Am I going to risk my reputation? Am I going to risk my life? Am I going to risk being right to be obedient to God? I'm telling you, we have to figure these things out now because we're going to be in situations. We need each other. That's why I was telling my mom, not so I could gossip with my mom. I was literally telling my mom because I'm like, mom, what do I do? I still call my mom to ask her, what do I do? What can't I see? What don't I know? We need each other. We need to be calling each other and saying, what can't I see? What don't I know? What I'm wrestling with this. What is it that you, what are you sensing? We need each other because we're going to find ourselves in a moment where he's going to call us like he calls Anna and we're either going to say, sorry, God, not me. I, I'm not wanting to do it. Or we're going to say, okay, God, because listen to what then happens. And you guys make me familiar. 
And Ananias went on his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him and said, I think this is so beautiful what he says. He says, Brother Saul. Oh, I got like the goosebumps right now when I said it. He greets him with faith by calling him Brother Saul. He doesn't just say Saul. He greets him by saying, Brother Saul. He's saying, family, chosen one, one who has been adopted like I have been adopted into Christ. Brother Saul, I am here because the Lord has sent me. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me so you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't just come so that he was good. He came so that God would be glorified. These moments aren't just for us to be good. It's so God can be glorified. He's calling us to be people who come up to them and say, Brother Saul, and get down and put our hands on them and saying, come that you might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the salvation of the Lord, the healing that you need. Brother Saul, I'm here. He's looking for us to be a people who would come and say, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, I have come, I have prayed. The Lord spoke to you and me in a vision. Just think about that. See, these are things that are available to us today. Where it's available, visions are for today. Speaking in tongues is for today. Healing is for today. Words of knowledge is for today. Words of wisdom is for today. It's not just a thing that happened. These are things that we call are called to participate in. Freedom is for today. Salvation is for today. Not just like, oh, I, I get to wrestle with these things. What we gotta understand is the enemy has lullabied us that our spot, our response to these things isn't, hey Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Our response is, okay, God, what am I going to say? So you, you see the difference? No, no, no. The Lord is saying, Susie, I want you to know there's something I need you to do. I need you to go. I need you to pray. I need to show you what the, what, what the plan of the enemy is here. I want you to come. I'm going to give you a word. Do you see the difference? And now I walk in the authority Christ has given me versus the frailness of my own humanity. I am, I get far too offended sometimes way too easily. I get far too fickle about what God is or isn't doing way too easily. I get far too opinionated about things way too easily. I'm not going to see the move of God happen that way. You're not going to see God move that way. I'm going to tell you we either trust him to be good and faithful or you don't. Like there's no in between. We have to be a church that's either going to say I'm hot or I'm cold, but we're not going to be lukewarm. Because it says, I think it actually says in 2 Peter, it would be better for you not even to know. It would be better for you to not even know about these things than to have heard and have walked away. The church is being shaken. The church is being awakened. I'm telling you. And he's looking for people who will say, will you go? Ananias, will you go? Ananias, will you go? Ananias, will you go? Will you go down to the desert, Philip? Will you go down to where there seems to be no life? Will you go down to those places where it's dark? And will you trust? Will you go in peace? Will you go in my authority? Will you go in my favor? This is what it is about today. This is what it means to be the church. That we would then walk in and say, Brother Saul, the Lord loves you and he sent me and he has the Holy Spirit for you and he has your sight, height, sight to be revived and restored. This is what it's about. It's not saying, God, come God, come, come now, I, I'm done here. You guys, there, I can't tell you that we need to be a people who are bold and courageous, to be moved by compassion, that we would be moved to be light in a dark place. I'm going to tell you, and this is where I'm going to be ending, is Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and you guys, very familiar verse, but it doesn't matter how familiar it is to you. It's a matter, it's, it is, it's marching orders. That's what these are. Like, uh, you, for people who had kids, there's nothing more frustrating than telling them over and over and over and over and over again, you need them to do something, right? Like any, anyone there? Has anyone had that moment? Okay, just might be me. Okay, um, like it's, there's nothing, there, well, there actually is something more frustrating. It's having a dog who doesn't listen to you. That's what I'm also walking through. That's a whole different situation, right? Um, I have a dog who today was like eating the paper, my toilet paper, and there was nothing I can do about it. Like he just, yeah, he's, he's fun. Okay, so that, that is actually more frustrating than like, people, children not listening to you. 
is a dog that doesn't listen. But that's besides the point. The point is we hear these scriptures and, and it's not just, oh, okay, I got my reading and I'm done. This is actually an instruction. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? We all know it. We might be able to stand, stand, stand. We're not called to sit. We're not called to kneel. He's asking us to take the proper position, which is to stand, to stand the authority he's given us, to stand in the places that we're going to get the, 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 the territory he's called us to. This is it, to be bold and courageous and to put the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We talk about the devil way too much. We give him way too much credit, but I'm going to say we still are instructed to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, we take up the whole armor of God. He says it again, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all stand. I'm telling you that this is not just something we participate in reading like, oh, cool, I got this armor. No, he's saying we put the whole armor of God we need to be strong but strength doesn't just happen this is something I've heard I know I experienced you lose strength as you get older anyone there with me like and then you not only do you lose it if you don't even try to get it back you're not gonna have it you're just gonna be weak I I know there's things that I used to be able to open that I can't open now guess what I'm not doing I'm not lifting weights I'm not doing anything to increase my strength I'm still functioning I'm still fine I'm still can still do whatever I need to do. I can get around. We, we, we can lose our strength. We can in our, we can become complacent in our spirituality. And coming on a Sunday is not enough. Coming on a Sunday is not enough. Worshiping when we when we're, have worship here is not enough. Not because we're not enough, it's because we need to be able to have, be strengthened in the Lord. We need to continue to work and work out those muscles and work out those places of discernment. Work out praying in the spirit daily so that our spirits rise up. We need to strengthen our style, our, ourselves by spending time in the word, worship, and prayer. It's that simple. There is no magic thing to like how to follow God. We make time for him like you make time for any relationship and we pray and we worship and we get before him. We bow. 